in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Maple Leafs beat the Lightning 4-3 yesterday. Tampa led 2-0. Toronto came back to win and now leads the series 3-2. You had Toronto. I had Tampa. Ah, they still got to win one of these last two. It would be peak Toronto Maple Leafs for them to lose Lose game six and game seven. seven, Game seven at home. Right, that'd be peak Toronto Maple Leafs. But I feel I feel good. I feel like the Maple Leafs are actually going to win this series and then probably lose in round two. It probably is going to happen. But uh, I'll, I'm sticking with Toronto Maple Leafs come out of the East and play in the Stanley Cup final. I think it's going to happen. They're, two, they're fun, and I'm, I, I want them to come out of the East. Two-time defending champs about to go out, you say? Yeah, because you know why? They paid their goalie way too much money. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's the reason. Yes. Never pay your goalie more than seven dollars. That's that's the new rule. Makeup stuff. Reed Detmers. How about no this kid? hit the Tampa Bay Rays. Twenty-two year old rookie. Only struck out two. I think I saw it was the fewest strikeouts and a no hitter in almost a decade. But no hit the Tampa Bay Rays last night. But what's more impressive, a no hitter, or Anthony Rendon who came up in the eighth inning? Of a, it was a blowout, who decided to hit left-handed for the first time in his career and hit a two-run home run off a position player. Oh, this is a tough one. I'm going to say, because he struck out two, Reed Detmers. I think you can run into a pitch, close your eyes, and run into one. I, so I'm going to say that, although... Can you take it over the wall? Well, sometimes you can. <laughs> Rios hit a home run last night, and it was a fly ball, and it went 40... 40 uh, um, rose up into the deck in uh, in Pittsburgh. So I'm going to say Detmers. I don't know which well, way you're going to go with on it. Juiced balls? They must have last night. I, he I, he, I, he I swung think, and I, I said, oh, that's a fly ball to right. I think the all L.A., the Dodgers and Angels, they're still using the old normal baseballs. Those are the only two teams that are still using <laughs> the old baseballs. Everybody else has these dead things that don't go anywhere. But Didn't the, Trout hit two homers? For whatever reason, L.A.'s got the old uh, yeah, he hit two last night. Anthony Rendon hit one left-handed, um, and Otani was two for five. What a bum. Didn't hit a home run. Uh, but the Angels might actually be good this year, which is a little concerning. So which one do you think is more more impressive? Uh, Anthony Rendon. Oh, you do? Uh, okay. Yeah, I think it's Rendon, even off of a position player. because that, Hell, that might actually be a little bit more impressive. Well, because yeah, because no, he's not throwing as hard. Right. It's like 60 miles an hour, yeah. and you have to generate all the power and do it with your you know batting with the opposite hand there. I, here's the thing I'm curious about, and maybe this would change my mind. How often do major league hitters swing the opposite way? Just just because? Yeah, like how like Anthony Rendon walked up there and hit a home run opposite. Like he's not a switch hitter. How often do guys just like not not serious? Well, maybe seriously, but just like goof around. Like, all right, I'm going to take five pitches and hit left-handed today in batting practice. Oh, and BP. Uh, maybe in BP, I could see him messing around a little. Not. Well, I don't know. Not that much, probably, because they're trying yeah, to get ready so, for they're trying to get ready for a game. So right. I don't think they're screwing around very much. Right. So I got so that to me, if they don't do it very often, that's that's really impressive for him to just be did, like, "Yep, I'm going to swing lefty today and hit one over the." Fence. Did he say afterwards why? I did not see a press conference. Like what? But I, I mean, his face and position player. He's probably like, you know what? I bet I can do this, and he did it. Wow. Sorry. Um, 
I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> the contract that Tom Brady has signed with Fox Sports to be their lead analyst whenever he retires from the NFL is a 10-year deal worth $375 million a year. Brady is, whenever he retires, going to be making more money than most players while being a broadcaster. How on earth can Fox justify handing out that contract? <laughs> they gave that contract and they wouldn't pay Aikman. I, I don't, I, like, I'm, I'm confused at this entire contract and this entire deal of why they're so convinced he's going to be that good or worth that much money. I, I'm I'm stunned at this. I mean, literally, I they wouldn't pay Aikman a buck. I don't think they, they they wouldn't pay those guys. They 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 go to ESPN to do Monday Night Football, and yet they give this guy three hundred seventy five million dollars. Yeah, I, it's amazing. They, they, there's a couple of things here. One, they do not know when Tom Brady is retiring. No, so they gave this does. guy a ten year contract that might not start for another four years i mean in all seriousness it could start next year or it could be four years from now so they don't know when it's starting and they gave him a 10-year contract for something he has never done and the part that i don't understand is why any color analyst for the nfl or even or play-by-play guys make anywhere close to this much money tom brady's going to be higher paid than everybody but Nobody is watching the NFL because Tony Romo is broadcasting the game. No. People are watching no. the NFL For the game. regardless For of the who football. you put there. Right. And like, yeah, we people, it helps like, Tony, or it makes right. yeah, it helps that Tony Romo's really good and it's interesting, but they, I mean, most people turn on games and don't know who's announcing it exactly. until the game starts. Right. Like, oh, it's a I Romo have game. no idea what no. game Tony Romo is calling any no. week until oh, there's Tony Romo. Right. And so I cannot imagine how they justify, uh, yeah, we're going to pay $37.5 million to anybody to do it because, in all seriousness, you could put Jared there and the game would still have the same ratings. Jared? I mean, I think the game would definitely be a whole lot more fun if I was there. <laughs> we would definitely rank butts about halfway through the third quarter of a blowout. Bubble butts? Oh, yeah. Well, we'd have to do categories, obviously. <laughs> Next question. Standing in your corner. Next question. Notre Dame head coach Mike Bray says coaches have to shut up and adjust to the new name, image, and likeness in college sports. His full quote, I told a lot of young coaches when we were on the road in April, I said, we got to stop complaining. This is the world we're in. Last time I checked, you make, a, you make pretty good money, so everybody should shut up and adjust. You know, that's just the world we're in now. And I'm not in it as long as the Josh Passners and some of these young guys, so good luck to y'all. I'll be back in five years to see what's up. Just remember, we've had it pretty good here, and it's a great job. It's high risk, high reward, but we all know what we signed up for. Can we get more coaches like Mike I Bray? mean, can that guy, like, run the NCAA, please? <laughs> How cool would that be? I mean, he, he's, he hit it out of the park with that statement. Like, I, it's interesting with, with college coaches because I feel like there's a lot of coaches that complain simply to complain because their job gets harder. And we see a lot of that with name, image, and likeness and, oh, my God, the transfer portal and all that. But we also have coaches. I think Nick Saban does this a lot where he complains because he thinks there should be different rules. 
But he also is like, if this is what we're going to do, I'm going to be better at it than all of you anyways. Right, right. So I think there's some coaches that complain for the sake of complaining. There's some coaches that complain because, well, I would like it to be different, but I'm still going to. Yeah, they're about to lose their jobs. Right. And then there's Mike Bray, who's like, yeah, whatever. We'll figure it out. And I like I love it from Mike Bray. Like, there's some things that, sure, coaches should probably put their foot down about and say, hey, the game is worse because of this. But it's not because of name, image, and likeness. It's not worse because all of a sudden kids might get paid some money to play this sport. So, yeah, shut up and adjust. I like that from Mike Bray. Next question. Jayon Dotson skipped practice to go to his college graduation. He was a uh, draft pick of the Washington Commanders. And his quote was, I was actually ready to skip the graduation and be out here at practice. But Ron Rivera, his coach, said, that's a a once-in-a-million type of thing. He was all for me going. So honestly, I hadn't even thought about skipping practice until he kind of brought that up. How is that not normal? I don't know I why. Like, I don't know I why they like made college... such a big deal about it, where he had to be quoted and talk about it. Well, because I mean, it's the NFL and they expect yeah, you to I mean, be in everything. It's... But I, this guy's the first guy who did this. We skip one practice so he can attend his college graduation and practice in May. Like, yeah, like we're talking about a the, practice like in a the rookie first week camp, of May. probably. I not a game. Have... But practice. Yeah. I would have to imagine that should be the standard. Like, oh, yes. I'm I, I'm graduating from college, or I'm going to a rookie practice on May seventh. <laughs> what? I think I know which one I should be going. And to. he said that he said that they brought it up to him. Right. He and because he that's, wasn't even going to do it. Right. That's the attitude i guess of most people in football of course rookie practice on may 7th is more important than your graduation i was just like i'm like i'm kind of stunned that this is a big deal because i would feel like oh yeah he graduated from college yeah. he missed work today i feel like that's a normal thing that would even happen in the nfl but apparently not they make it a big deal because ron rivera told them to skip practice Yes. Like good for the, I, you, good for Ron Rivera. Yeah, Pat Ron, and Ron I hope Rivera. Ron Rivera was like, "What are you doing here, dude? Yes. Aren't you graduating?" Jahan, get to Penn State right now. I'm pretty sure I once had a retail job. No, I am sure that I had to find my own replacement for my shift in order to go see my sister's graduation. <laughs> so I kind of I, I kind of hope that 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 was Ron. It's like, yeah, man, you can skip. You just got to find someone to fill in for you at practice. <laughs> get another rookie. <laughs> get all right. Genuine question on that, because when I worked at a grocery store, any time that I was scheduled and was like, oh, I need to do something, it was like, well, find somebody to take your shift. What's the point of a manager in those type of positions? Aren't they the one that's supposed to manage the labor and find the replacement if somebody can't be there? Don't they have the schedule? I've always found that fascinating that, hey, uh, okay, you've got to find your own replacement. Oh, no, that's the sign of a bad manager. Like, if you just want the day off, like, if you're just like, hey, I, I want the day off, and it's like, all right, well, yeah, go find somebody to take your shift. That's fine. If you guys want to switch shifts, that's cool. But if it's like, I'm sick, well, you better call somebody. <laughs> I am. I'm calling you. Right. Exactly. You're the manager. Figure it out. That should be the answer. Here. Like, there was a reason I was on Vinny's show yesterday. Yes, yeah, someone was sick. Someone was sick, and I'm the manager. Man, you know, that's a great question. All right, I needed to get to this for a couple of days to to basically cry about it. But Miles Robinson has a torn Achilles. Miles Robinson is one of the best center backs for the U.S. men's national team. He scored the game-winning goal in the Gold Cup final against Mexico last summer. And he's probably going to miss the World Cup now because of this torn 
Achilles, which is a complete nightmare because it's May and a team that's already had a bunch of guys that are injury prone has one guy that was not injury prone now out for the World Cup. This is a complete disaster. We're going to end up going to the World Cup with like four of our best 11 players in the starting lineup. I'm very sad for you. You I know should this, be. I, I know this makes you upset. Like, seriously, Miles Robinson, like, Christian Pulisic gets hurt all the time. Gio Reyna gets hurt all the time. Weston McKinney is going to be recovering from an injury. Those are our three best players, and I'm already walking into it expecting maybe we'll have one of them healthy for the World Cup because they're going to get hurt before we get to the World Cup. But now you're telling me that guys that shouldn't be injured are going to be injured when we get to the World Cup. It's a nightmare, complete nightmare. I'm I'm gonna talk myself into us like not winning a single game at the World Cup. I was gonna say, gonna how many hurt. of those guys have to miss not to get out of the group stage? Uh, not many, because we got a f- relatively tough group. We don't have an easy group. We got to beat somebody that's decent to get out of there. So if we if we go into the World Cup and we're missing like three of our normal starting eleven, oh, we're done for. Nah, just draw out, draw out. We might not. <laughs> we, we won't go. You got to get four. You got to at least get four points to get out of the group stage. So you can't just draw all three games. You got to win one of them and nightmare nightmare start it's may and i'm already worried about the world cup in november at least they made it this year listen jared we're good when we go but everybody's going to be hurt and our great generation is just going to be defined by injuries it's a nightmare coming up next there are a couple of nightmare games in the nba why are all these blowouts coming can we get some close games this is the press box with graney and bischoff Uh, just so you guys are aware, I did not see like any of Phoenix and Dallas last night because that was basically when I started my fun laxatives for my colonoscopy today. So uh, I have three TVs mounted on a wall in an office. I do not have three TVs mounted on a wall in my bathroom. That would so be, if anything, that's the next step. <laughs> <laughs> so if anything significant happened in that game, you guys are going to have to help me out. No, there. I, I did some of it. Yeah, I did get to see the Heat blow out the Sixers, take a 3-2 series lead, though. And here's here's a question for you. And maybe this is too harsh. Maybe this is too hot take radio. Okay. But Sixers now down 3-2 in the series. They played the first two games without Joel Embiid. But who deserves more blame in Philadelphia, Joel Embiid or James Harden? I think it's James Harden. I don't like to give blame to people with uh, cracked orbital bones. Uh, That usually tends for me to believe uh, wearing masks uh, slows you down or doesn't doesn't make who you are. Hey, Uh, we're pro-mask on this show. You you said after the last game, I mean, Harden had one game where he was the best player and was the guy that you see the whole season for them to win the series, and he wasn't again last night. Embiid wasn't great, 7 of 12, 3 of 3 only from the line. But if you're giving me one guy who hasn't stepped up, given Embiid's injury, I'd say James Harden. Am I wrong for still thinking it's Joel Embiid even with a cracked face? (laughs) Well, I think the cracked face does play into it. So, because here's what it is for me. It's about expectations. And... Maybe like three months ago, I thought, hey, maybe this James Harden guy can still be James James Harden, Harden, right? But I have completely adjusted my expectations. He he is not the MVP-level James Harden. He's not particularly close to the MVP-level James Harden. So I haven't expected that out of him. They, They got it in game four, and that was great for them. But Joel Embiid, even with the cracked face, there's still, I don't, for whatever, there's still a level of me that's like, okay, he... He was the top two or three player in the league this year. People are mad he didn't get the MVP, 
go be the best player on the floor. He took 12 shots, only got three free, didn't draw any fouls or many fouls yesterday. Like, go be the best player on the floor. You're playing Miami, who is a good team, but, like, Jimmy Butler's not, like, ah, top 10 player. It shouldn't be that hard to be the best player on the floor in this series. And Embiid wasn't that last night. And maybe it's because his face is cracked, and maybe I'm being too harsh on a guy with an orbital fracture. But to me, it's, like, based on expectations – James Harden's kind of who James Harden has been for two yeah. months now. I, I don't have higher expectations than that. But Embiid, I, I expect, even with an injury, to be the best player on the floor. I mean, I think he, I would side with you without the cracked face. Yeah, I mean... I mean, if he was doing this without the cracked face, and right. I'm like, boy, he is completely underachieving. What happened to this guy? Right, 17 points, uh, only took 12 shots, only drew three free throws. If he was fully healthy doing that, oh, Embiid would right. be getting a toasted. lot of criticism. He'd be toasted. Right. But he... I mean, listen... It's perfectly fair to, to give him a break for the cracked face. No doubt about it. But I still, for whatever reason, I'm like, yeah, I still expect more out of that. I still think you should be better. Like, that's Philly's only chance of winning is if one of those two guys is the best player on the floor and neither of them were. And I just think there's a better chance that Embiid does that than Harden. Um, they're up 3 twos. So they still need to win one more game to get there. But do you believe at all that the Heat can beat the Milwaukee-Boston winner in the Eastern Conference Finals? No. And it's mostly because I didn't think the Miami Heat were that great anyway as a one seed. So I think, you know, if you're asking me, can Boston Milwaukee go in and get one of the first two and split the first two and then go home? I believe that impeccably. I think they, I think they will do that. The part about Boston Milwaukee is Middleton playing. Well, yeah. Does Chris Middleton play? It will be a big factor if Milwaukee advances. But the part I'm curious to see is we've seen outside of the fourth quarter where Boston and Al Horford were unbelievable. We've seen an incredible defensive series, and I'm a little curious to see because Miami's good defensively too. It's not like Miami's bad. I'm a little curious to see whoever gets out of that Boston Milwaukee series. Does their offense still kind of suck in the Eastern Conference Final? Because if it does. Miami, Miami might win that series, right? If we get out, if whoever gets out of this Milwaukee Boston side, if they continue to kind of suck on offense, if Giannis is not super efficient, or if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have brutal games and they need Al Horford to bail them out, right? Like there's a legitimate chance Miami could win that series and maybe win it pretty quickly, but I don't know how much credit to give the Milwaukee and Boston defense because they're both very good, but I don't know well, how much credit they If they're getting they a ton get. of credit, maybe that has a lot to do with the offense in the next. I mean, right. Miami's not going to be as good a defensive team as either one of those, so maybe things return to more normal. I think it's big. I mean, you know, obvious statement. It's huge if Middleton can come back and be Middleton, and but he's been out for a long time. But then again, like we say, these guys come back and they're just not the same. We just talked about Embiid. Um, what kind of Chris Middleton would they be getting? Right, and the other part with Milwaukee is Drew Holiday is a nightmare. And yeah, he can't shoot. If if they don't get Middleton back, Drew Holiday's got to not be terrible. Right. Like he's got like that's the baseline. Don't be ter- Don't be five of twenty two. Right. Don't be terrible, and they'll probably their offense will probably be fine and have a pretty good shot. But that's been a big issue for them in this series. The other news from the other series that's uh, probably about to be over, John Morant now expected to miss the rest of the postseason. He has a bone bruise in his knee. So uh, if we're going to play doctor here really quick, could that have actually happened from Jordan Poole grabbing his knee? Unless he really grabbed hard. (laughs) I mean, you said it yesterday. I think he might have tweaked something before this happened. We, We talked about this. He's doubled at midcourt. They're going for the ball. It looks like he just slaps his knee. I mean, if he 
he, that kind of slap gave him a bone bruise and a bone bruise deep enough to where he's going to miss the rest of the postseason. Right. Now, it probably ends tonight anyway, so, you know, whatever that means. But, I mean, it, that grab gave him that. Because, you know, bruise is one thing. If it's on the outside or whatever, he, he's not going to miss much time with that. But this has a, be a pretty deep, painful bruise for him to miss even one game. And I just can't believe, watching the replay, that that grab instituted that kind of an injury. I mean, yeah. does he have the weakest knee in the world? I mean, it doesn't appear so when he's going down the middle of the middle of the uh, lane dunking on people who are seven feet. I think his knees are pretty strong. Yeah. So I. I mean, it's it's bizarre to look at that and be like, "Yep, bone bruise." Like that little grab is what's going to knock the guy out of the postseason. There ha- had to have. There's got to be more. He might have been banged knees beforehand, and then that you know hurt it even more, but. He barely grabbed that, and he and his hand came off quickly. So I can't believe that that's the reason the deep bone breeze in his knee. So this stat was from Mark Stein, but when John Morant missed game four, he became the eighth all-star to miss a playoff game this season due to injury. Last year was the record when 10 all-stars missed a postseason game. I don't remember being due as to bad injury. last year. Uh, it was, yeah. I mean, we the bubble was kind of bad, and then last year it was oh the shortened, compressed season, and it was pretty right, bad right, last right. year. And now this year we, I mean, there's still two more rounds to be played, so we might end up getting the ten again if other people end up getting hurt. Do I you mean, believe this is a weird sort of two to three years of the NBA where guys are getting hurt and it's just nothing to worry about because it'll it won't happen or? Do you think there might actually be an issue the NBA needs to figure out? I think they need to figure something out. Now, next year, you told me that they're if they go to that midseason tournament, they're still going to play 82? Or they're going uh, to cut, cut back on it? The last thing these guys need to be doing is playing they don't need to play. Right. It won't. So it. I think it might end up actually being... I'm not exactly sure how they'll do it, but it won't be... You can't be play more games than you're already injuries. playing. Yeah, with these because... Injuries. The tournament's going to replace some regular season games. Okay. I'm not sure how they do it for teams that lose. Maybe there's a consolation thing, so they keep playing games. I'm not 100% sure on that. But it's not going to be – there won't be more than 82 games because of the tournament. That'll replace some of the regular season games. So I just – I I don't know. I don't know if it's a legit problem for the NBA that needs to be figured out or just sort of a freak two years or something right. like that. That's where I'm. I'm a little – Curious I mean, I could buy exactly into the condensed schedule on the 10 last year, but this year's been right. kind of a nightmare. Right. And that's sort and because if you're the NBA, you can't exactly expect to have every year, hey, we're going to have eight all-stars that miss game. Like, that's just ridiculous. That defeats the purpose of the NBA playoffs. Coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Hello, Jason. What are you doing that's fun? You know what? I'm I'm just sitting here listening to that intro and realizing, after all this time, I'm still unimpressed with Aaron Rodgers. That hasn't changed. That's I always ask myself: Do I still have animosity towards Aaron Rodgers? And the answer is still yes. But also, like before you even ask me a question, can we just say, like, who actually tunes in to watch a broadcast because of the former player that's on it? Like, I, good for Tom Brady on getting his. Like, I want guys to go get paid, but. Like, I'm going to watch the Raiders game if you're calling it, if my mom's calling it. Like, if, if somebody that's there that's, like, doesn't even uh, know football was calling, it doesn't matter. I'll just mute the thing and watch the Raiders game. So, good for Tom Brady. But, man, we made a big deal out of nothing. And then, you know, eventually Aaron Rodgers going to end up on TV, too. And then we're going to have to listen to all of them. And I don't care. I, that kind of contract for him, and they don't even know when he's starting, 
I said earlier, and I agree with you. No, nobody. I mean, I think Romo's really good. I have no idea he's doing a game until I turn the game on and he's on there. Like, I, I have no idea who's calling games. I mean, you know Monday night guys because they're Monday night guys. But, like, on Sunday, like, ah, I don't know who's calling this game. But I think Aikman's pretty good. They wouldn't pay him. And they turn around and give him $37.5 million. He's never called a game before. And I don't know outside looking in what they see in him that would justify that kind of money. No offense to him. He's probably got a great agent, obviously. But uh, how, how do you get to that amount for a guy you've, who's never done it? And by the way, you don't even know when you're going to get him. Yeah, I think the belief is just that it's going to be a conversation piece and people will tune in at least temporarily to see what he has to say. And and that might be true. Like I think that could, that could be true more on pregame shows than it is on games themselves. But I think if you really inject a true serum in most fans, like, the biggest game of the year against the Chargers, and I turn on Sunday NFL Countdown, a great show that everybody should watch. But they're sitting there talking about, <laughs> you know, the, the Packers game. I'm turning that off. I'm going right over to see if somebody else has got Raiders content for me. And to your point, yeah, there are certain guys that I think are great. Like, I think Adam Amin is great on the game. When I know Adam's calling the game, I'm so happy. But I'm not turning around on Wednesday and saying, ooh, i got I got to plan my watch schedule around what Adam's doing. And he's great. So, you know, I don't understand it at all. Like, good for Hey, guys getting paid is always good, but, man, Fox is just paying for the publicity. How many announcers or games have you muted because of the announcer? Um, You know what? If it's not a Raiders game, I mute a lot of them just because, like, I, I don't know. Well, frankly, I say if it's not a Raiders game, like, I joked when I sat down with Max Crosby a few weeks ago that I think it was in the contract of every person that's called a Raiders game for the last two years. We have to hear about Darren Waller and now Max a path of sobriety every single week. Like, I get that that might be a fresh story to them in that moment, but, man, like, know your audience. Your audience has probably heard that somewhere sometime. Like, find something interesting to talk about. So I find myself frustrated with announcers more than I love it. I, I love the excitement that certain guys, like, I, look, Romo is so just pumped to be there. I think it's fun to listen to Romo. And when he predicts the plays, I, I think that's fun TV. But not everybody even agrees with that. Talk about his tattoos with Max. Come on. I mean, that's all you just go in and be like, hey, Max, A, what are you doing with all that cash? And B, what's the next tattoo? Did you really have a tattoo plan? Like, Max is more of a, I'm going to tell everybody I had a tattoo plan by piecing it all together. I, he didn't really have a plan coming in. That's an interesting conversation. What motivates a guy just to walk in one day and say, yeah, put that on my body? That's a conversation I want to hear. <laughs> all right. Stations Casino here in Vegas has lines out for every Raiders game. They're only favored in six. If they go six and eleven, is somebody getting fired? Oh my God, uh, <laughs> no! But if they go six and eleven, my God, the entire fan base goes apoplectic, right? Like I, I I'm a little surprised by that. I, I don't think I've seen the over and under on the win total is usually around eight and a half. I don't think that's tragically unfair. I know it's tough division. It really is, and you could make a compelling case for why the Raiders are just going to thrash that division. You could also be reminded, as I think should be reminded, the Raiders tied the record last year for most overtime wins in the season. They won four games in overtime. They won, I think, seven games uh, on walk-off fashion. So you're talking about a team that actually could have been a four- or five-win team last season. So the fact that they put it all together and did really well, I think is kudos to what they accomplished last year. But I don't know that I put that together and suddenly make the the Raiders a 12-win team. I, I think... They're a, they're a team that, you know, if things break right, they're 10 wins, and they're in the playoff conversation. If they don't, they're eight wins, and they're selling everybody a bill of goods for why next year is going to be even better. 
Were you concerned, surprised, amazed? What were you when you heard Dan Ventrelli's comments? Um, I Concerned, at least. Um, and this is a moment where I take my fan hat off and I say, I want to be able to root for organizations that are easy to root for. And the minute we have accusations, the most important thing you have to do, I think, especially what we tried to do on radio in the moment because the news was breaking while we were live, is, is you know, give benefit of the doubt to both sides. Like, I don't have to decide who's telling the truth or what means what. I just have to give both sides the respect that they need in that process. So I look at Van comments and I say, okay, the first thing you have to do is say that these are incredibly serious. Davis and say is, all right, transparency is key. You know, if, if there's nothing to these allegations, then be transparent about where it's come from, what the culture really is like, and what you've done. And if you aren't transparent, then people will immediately question what that means. So I think that's fair. And if Mark Davis has been a part of anything that he's being accused of in this process, then I hope, uh, you know, with, no, with all credit to the Raiders and the team that I love, I hope to come down with the thunder of the gods because at some point you've got to stop the culture that's being allowed in the NFL. Now, that being said, every Oakland fan that suddenly goes to Twitter and says, oh, they're going to make Mark sell the team. Like, if Dan Snyder hasn't had to sell Washington yet, I'm pretty sure <laughs> short of killing somebody, you never have to give up your football team. So the question is, what's the NFL going to do about this if this is true? I, uh, I know you don't know the answer to this, but one of the things I'm curious to see from this situation, does it make it outside of the NFL, or is this simply going to be an NFL investigation where we might not hear anything for the rest of time about it if it just stays in-house with the NFL? I think there's too much now for everything to stay in-house in general because what you're going to see, and this is the standard procedure, we're all familiar with this with a little bit of what we saw in the Gruden case. The immediate comment by the NFL is this is an arbitration matter and not for public court. And they do that because arbitration are sealed records, so that way it stays in-house. I don't think with everything that Congress has done in the last year and what they've demanded, I'm not sure you can get away with keeping anything in-house, even if you want to. So, And if I'm Van Trell, I'm not going to let anything stay in-house, because the other thing that we know at this point is that people keep their own correspondence copies. So if he's no longer with the team, the presumption that he doesn't have all the ammunition he would need if these allegations are true, that to me is just... Like, you can no longer presume in anything that you're doing in any business that you're going to get away with it. You have to presume that all the information will come out. So the farther ahead of it you can get, the better, because there will be massive egg on everybody's face if the Raiders and the NFL choose to be quiet about all of this, choose to say nothing, choose to say that none of it's true, and then we get proof otherwise. So you got to stay ahead of it. If you're Mark Davis and you, uh, you've been a part of something that's a problem, you need to turn around right now and say, hey, we're addressing this, we're fixing this, and we're going to be a part of a change in the culture like everybody does. And then you bring in some consultant like everybody does and try to make fans feel better about just a, a crappy situation. Had an NFL executive when I was writing this last week tell me the worst thing they did was get rid of Mark Bedane. If we find out Mark Bedane is being asked to come back, would you be okay with that? Yeah, 100%. I, I think, you know, at some point the, the change is chaos right now. And I will say, Continuity matters, and, you know, it's something that this organization and fans of this organization took for granted because for entire generations, the Raiders were defined by one man, right? Mm -hmm. They were defined by Al Davis, and we all knew it. Once they got into a post-Al Davis world where there were coaches and GMs, I said at the time on, you know, my tiny podcast nobody listened to, be careful what you wish for when you reach that world where you have a GM because it means now you've got revolving door, and that's what we've seen. So for the Raiders organizationally to have this level of revolving door – no, they're going to have to look at it and say why, what's happening. And if the Dane comes back and that can help stabilize this ship, 
I like once a Raider, always a Raider is real to the people around the organization. Bring in somebody that understands how to make whatever is happening right now calm down. And I, and and this this is not one of those make it go away. This is one of those fix it moments. The organization needs to look in the mirror and again ask themselves: Are they putting the best foot forward? Not just for the Raiders, but for the city of Las Vegas. Because let me tell you, that matters. And you guys know this as much as anybody. But my God, there can't be a story every month before at some point the locals turn around and say, <laughs> why did we spend all this money? And is this team worth it? All right. Uh, one of the best things about Jason Fitz coming on the show is we can generally just sort of say a musician or sometimes just any famous person's name and get a story out of it. But we're going we're gonna to test you today. Throughout the show... We're giving away tickets to go see the Doobie Brothers. We're also giving away tickets to go see the Steve Miller Band. Also, I'm having a colonoscopy today. So you have three options there. Do you have a Steve Miller, Doobie Brothers, or colonoscopy story for us? Does Michael McDonald count as Doobie Brothers? Are we going to count that as a Doobie? Because I got a great, I got a yes. great uh, McDonald yes. story. Okay, yeah. so um, I, yeah, I such mad respect for his musicianship right like such incredible like his we'll go deep in the weeds here for music people but his ability to hear and process particularly like jazz chords is incredible and it's an underrated part of what he does right so uh, as he was going in and uh, was was working on some music in nashville many years ago he was playing at a local church like this big huge church which is common down here like that the mega churches have these big concerts. So he's doing some of his solo material and a little bit of, you know, some of the stuff he's famous for. But he asked me to sit in and play the violin with him, like sort of like fiddle, sort of like violin. So he's going to sit at the piano. I'm going to come in and I'm going to play with him. And uh, I, I'm going to this court. And I, I'm the first to admit that while I have things that I'm, I'm very good at, like anticipating where jazz is going is not something most classical violinists that grew up, you know, fat white kids in Vegas have a great understanding of. So, like, I, I understand my weaknesses here. So, I mean, when I say I'm studying, like, I've been listening and listening and listening, trying to find the little pockets where I can play but won't step on his piano, won't step on his vocals. I'm trying to get all this right. So I'm just sitting there, and I've been in this dressing room for hours. I'm in my own head at this point. Finally, the guy opens the door. I don't even look up. It's a buddy of mine that opens the door with the head pastor of this church to say, hey, they're ready for you. We're, we're, we're going to start this show, and i got to go on stage. And I let out, just as I always do when I'm a little in my head, I let out a line of just that I learned from my mom, words that you shouldn't say in front of your worst enemy. I mean, <laughs> all of them, like, if there was a way to offend any person that has any sense of values, I get it into one particular line that involves, you know, a little bit of not a lot of blessing. And there's all of that going out in the line. And I just look up, and as I've said that, I look up at the door and I have this look of horror from the pastor my buddy and Michael McDonald standing in the door. And I'm like, that's the way to go out on stage and make sure that everybody's really comfortable with the fact that you're in a church about to play a song. Oh, but the song did go swimmingly. Beautiful. <laughs> He's Jason Fitz. That's why we have him on. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> Beautiful. You can, give him, any, you can give him anybody. Yep, it's incredible. All right, here we go. Two tickets to go see the Steve Miller Band on May 13th. They're going to be at the Venetian Theater at 8 p.m., and we've got a pair of tickets for you. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. That's 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number seven to go see the Steve Miller Band at the Venetian. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler.
Jared, I feel like we were very, very close to getting another the Miami Heat have resorted to thuggery there. Oh, we might have. We might have. If it, I mean. <laughs> I finally, uh, I finally saw Rendon's home run. Oh wow! What do you mean great. You finally saw. It? Where have you been? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna change my mind and agree with you. That pitch might have been ten miles an hour. <laughs> that 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 pitch was like um, coach pitch to to six year olds in Little League. That was a coach just, pitch. Just lob it up there. Oh my just goodness! Just lob it up there. And it had like you know the dip movement on it, so you had to kind of track it a little. You know, it wasn't straight, and he still was able to hit it out. That was that was amazing. <laughs> It was, it was absolutely amazing that he took that. It took that kind of like power from him to get that pitch all the way out, and he was up ten rows. I mean, it wasn't like just over the fence. Oh yeah, that was. I mean, not it was a, that was not like a, yeah. a cheapy. I mean, that that went up. That, that I was like, man, how that did he do the, that? Giancarlo Stanton hit a home run yesterday, and it would have only been a home run in Yankee Stadium. It was not one of those. He actually crushed the baseball and. Did it left-handed. Very impressive. Which, by the way, are you surprised we haven't had more no-hitters given how few runs and how low batting averages are? I guess so. Um, there's been a lot of one-hitters, two-hitters. Um, so there's been a lot of the ones that are close. Uh, I know the uh, Doyers the other night had one or two hit and losing 5-1. to one. Um, Jared had three or four uh, cuts on that game. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the way the ball is and the way the low-scoring run is, I guess. But here's the thing. They'd probably be combined. I mean, not many guys are getting to go the distance either. Well, Clayton Kershaw certainly not getting to go no. the distance. Walker Bueller did. He went the distance. <laughs> are you still mad about Kershaw not getting his no-hitter? No, nah, I'm not mad. First place, no? what are you going to do? Six, seven, okay. seven of eight games. You are 11, way one, too happy 11-1 last night. Watch that. Well, way too yesterday. happy. I am very happy right now. Yeah. Um, Just, Justin Verlander took a no-hitter into the eighth that last guy's, night, too. I, I, I don't know... I mean, how much are you worried about the Angels, really? It's April. So, well, it's May. The, it's May. I think May by 11. the time the season's over, the Astros are going to be ahead of the Angels. But I, I do think there's, they're gonna, it's going to be a legitimate divisional race because their offense is actually, their offense has always been solid. Just, right. It's, it's just been the pitching, if it's healthy or not. But yeah, their pitching actually looks pretty good because, and maybe some of that's the dead ball, but they're also hitting a lot. So. Not all the balls are dead that they're playing with. So I I think the Astros are still going to be better than the Angels, but I think there's a legitimate divisional race that's going to be had there because it's, it, they're pretty good. Like their their offense is is one of the best in baseball right now. Mike Trout has been Mike Trout has been better than, than anybody Trout. expected Mike Trout exactly. to be. <laughs> right. And again, we're it's very we we've barely played like 30 games or something like that. But still, Mike Trout has been unbelievable this season and if he actually plays 150 games and Otani plays 150 games they're going to be one of the top whatever five six offenses in the sport and that's going to be a legitimate team in the division but I still think the Astros win it because I still think the Astros win it too the here's the thing the Astros pitching and again dead ball maybe the the Astros have won eight straight they have four shutouts in those eight games and the other four games they've given up exactly two runs in all of them in all of them in each one, like a eight, like a Bellinger eight, like a Bellinger night at the plate, only kind of two, like eight eight total runs over the last eight games they've allowed, which is that's ridiculous. Right, like the Astros' offense actually hasn't been that good this season. They're they've been kind of like a league average offense, but for like basically we're three weeks straight now. The Astros' starting pitchers have gone at least six innings in every single start and given up three runs or less. Wow. in every single like 
it's unbelievable. Every time somebody pitches, it's like, yep, two hitter going into the sixth. He's given up a run. Verlander. It's like, all right, Astros scored in the first. This Ver- game's over. Verlander never stops. It's he's, he's listen, amazing. He's amazing. This is basically misses two full seasons. He yeah. made one start in there. Comes back and is he's got a one five five ERA. I think he's got the best odds to win the Cy Young in the AL right now. Like it, I'm still a little worried that he's going to stay healthy for the entirety of the season. But this guy is he's not quite as good because his fastball is like at ninety five instead of ninety seven. But he's basically Justin Verlander yeah, from exactly. when he won the Cy Young in twenty nineteen, which is it's amazing. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Amazing that he missed that yeah. much time. Yeah, like lots of guys come back from Tommy John and are good, but not at 39. He's coming back from Tommy John at 39 and might end up being the AL Cy Young winner, which is absurd. Astros are winning the World Series. See you in October.